Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Jesus, we thank you again for the Christmas season, for this this annual reminder to us that you love showing up when things look most bleak, that you love breaking into the darkness and bringing fresh hope and fresh life. I pray that you would meet us today. I pray that for those who are in need of fresh encouragement, that this would be a a time when, when you would speak to them through your word, when you would give fresh encouragement, fresh hope, fresh life. Jesus, you, you understand because you took on flesh that this life is filled with challenges and complications and discouragement. And so would you be with those in our midst who who need a fresh touch from you? Jesus, we love you. We love you. I pray that this message would glorify you. I I pray that it would turn our attention, our affection toward you. I pray, Father, for the gift of eternal life for any among us who, who is not currently walking with you. Would this be the Sunday that they would turn to you as their Savior? and receive the gift of eternal life that you long to give them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. That's going to be in the very back of the Old Testament, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Habakkuk chapter 3. You know, Pastor Tom told me that since we're in between sermon series right now, we're going to be starting a, a... a new sermon series next week that I'm excited about, but because we're in between series, that I could preach on anything I wanted to this week and this one off. And so, you know, I I thought it's been a long year. I'm just going to give the people what they want, okay? I'm just going to give folks what they're clamoring for. I'm just going to give them Habakkuk, okay? So I know some of you, you've been praying all year. It's been a long year. Could I please just hear a message on Habakkuk? And so... Isn't it just like the Lord? Last week of the year, you've been praying all year. Midnight hour, here we are. Here's your message on Habakkuk, all right? So we're going to be reading the whole whole chapter together, and so dig in with me. This is what we read starting in verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionath and This is probably a musical or a literary term as best as we can guess. We're not really sure what Shigionath means. Let's keep reading. Lord, I have heard of your fame, Habakkuk says. I've heard of your fame and I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. 
Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in your anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Amen. We need a drink of water after reading that old passage. Now, now, church, here's the context for these verses, okay? Habakkuk was a, a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was located. And as a prophet, Habakkuk was told by the Lord that the Lord was about to send the Babylonians into captivity as punishment, or, or was about to send, rather, his own people, the people of Judah, into captivity at the hands of the Babylonians, in order to punish them for their sins. And so here in chapter 3, he's already, been, he's already been in dialogue with the Lord for the first two chapters. He knows that his country is about to be crushed. His nation is about to be ransacked and his fellow people are going to be sent into exile. That's what's on the table here for Habakkuk here in chapter 3. And so Habakkuk says in verse 16, I heard this message from the Lord, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Habakkuk knows, church, that the, the invasion at the hands of the Babylonians, it's imminent. It's going to happen at any moment. And yet, despite these tragic circumstances, despite the fact that Habakkuk, again, knows that invasion is inevitable, Habakkuk also expresses this resolute commitment to rejoice in the Lord. This is what we read in verse 17. These are very famous verses. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And so my question this morning for all of us is, it's a rather straightforward one. How was Habakkuk able to arrive here? How was Habakkuk able to soberly recognize an invasion of his people was inevitable, and yet also retain a measure of joy in his spirit? How was he able to rejoice in the midst of a pounding heart and quivering lips and trembling legs? You know, some of us here might be saying, you know, Christian, if I just experience a Buckeye loss, if I, if I just watch my Buckeyes lose, I'm inconsolable for a week. You know, or I'm distraught when I simply lose Wi-Fi at my house. I, I can be put in a bad mood just because Chipotle is out of white rice, okay? And so you might be thinking, 
I, I simply do not possess the resources to experience loss or suffering or disappointment and yet rejoice at the same time. But, but here in today's passage, Habakkuk is going to show us how. It's going to show us how. How we can become people who, like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, says that he and his co-workers are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Friends, this is possible. It is possible to rejoice amidst our struggles. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen without the grace of, of God, to be sure. And it doesn't happen without intentionality on our parts. Now, now before we go any further, let's define our term for a moment. What, what does it mean to have joy? Well, I, I like William McDonald's definition. He says that joy is contentment and satisfaction with God and with his dealings. That's, that's joy. Notice he, he doesn't say to have joy is to be content with our status, our position in life. It's not to be content with our circumstances, but rather to experience joy is to be content and satisfied with who our Father is and what He has done. This is Christian joy. To turn our attention on who our Father is and the beauty and the majesty that accompany Him. And to turn our attention on all that He has done, chiefly, principally, in sending His Son to die in our place. As, as we reflect, as we turn our attention on who the Lord is and what he has done, we have joy. Now, I, I want to offer three reasons today why Habakkuk was able to maintain joy in the midst of, of tragedy. It's outlined for us right here in this very chapter. And so here, here's my first point. Habakkuk was able to maintain joy in suffering because he understood where to turn his focus. That's the first point today. He understood where to turn his focus. Church, how does Habakkuk respond to this news of the coming invasion? Again, he's told by the Lord. It's inevitable. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to ransack your city, the holy city of Jerusalem. They're going to tear everything down. And those who aren't killed, they're being sent into exile. How, how does he respond to this news? Well, he begins to recite the deeds of the Lord throughout history. That's how he responds. This is the first 15 verses of today's text. Habakkuk is essentially recalling the Exodus story when the Israelites were freed from Egyptian captivity. And if you've watched the Charlton Heston movie or if you watched Prince of Egypt, you're familiar with this story when God brought his people out of Egypt. And so in verse 5, Habakkuk shares that plagues went before the Lord. And then in verse 13, that Pharaoh, the leader of the land of wickedness, was defeated by God. And then in verse 15, Habakkuk recalls that the Lord trampled the sea with his horses. This is a reference to when the Lord parted the Red Sea. Verse after verse, recalling and reciting the powerful deeds of the Lord. And if you're like me, you know, as, as we were reading these verses just a, a few minutes ago, you might have felt like Habakkuk just seemed to go on and on and on. I mean, this is a long chapter. And it's tempting, as you read through a passage like this, to, to just think, you know, can't this man just be more concise? Does he have to drag on and on and on? But listen, 
The reason why Habakkuk is belaboring the point, the reason why he's reciting the deeds of the Lord over and over and over again is because when your back is up against the wall, when you're in over your head, a five-minute prayer just isn't going to cut it, is it? It's almost as if Habakkuk is saying to us as he recites these verses, I'm going to continue declaring the exploits of the Lord until I feel encouraged again. I'm going to continue to shout out who God is and what he's done until my rejoicing returns, until my confidence is intact, until my trust is restored. Sometimes, church, you just have to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying until trust returns, until joy returns. Friend, the reason why I I get up each morning and try to put my face in a Bible, it's not because I'm looking for some new sermon illustration, and it's not because I'm trying to earn points or earn favor with Jesus, but, but rather, the, the reason why I'm waking up every morning, even when I'm tired, even, even when I just want to hit that snooze button, is because I'm fighting for joy. I, I want to recall and reflect and meditate on the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord that I might retain some measure of joy even in the midst of my discouragement and even on occasion in the midst of despair. In the early days of of mining, of coal mining, coal miners developed a a low-tech way to determine if there was excess methane or, or carbon monoxide within a mine. They would take a canary in a cage into the mine. And if the canary was chirping and flying around the cage, the miners knew that they were safe. But if the the canary grew silent, or if the canary fell to the floor of its cage, the miners knew that there was a dangerous level of gas in the mine, as as canaries are, are, are very sensitive to air quality. This, of course, is how we get the phrase, it's where we get the phrase, canary in the coal mine. Now, much in the same way, joy within a Christian church, it's like that singing yellow canary within us, okay? When our joy is nowhere to be found, when our hearts, in other words, stop singing, this is a sign that we're in a dangerous place. For this is a sign often that we've taken our gaze off of Christ. We've placed our focus, our attention, our thoughts in a different direction, A lack of joy in our life over a period of time often, not always, but but often indicates that we've taken our eyes off of Christ. It's the canary in the coal mine. And and friends, do do you see a, a growing cynicism in your life? Or a growing sense of discontentment or self pity or frustration that just seems to accompany your days? The way forward is always to turn your attention back to the Lord, to come back to Him in prayer, to come back to Him in worship through reading His Word, to recall once again His deeds and His character and His competency, as Habakkuk did for us in in this chapter. Listen to me, church. Contrary to popular thought, the enemy of joy is not sorrow. That's not the greatest barrier. That's not the greatest enemy of joy. As Habakkuk shows us in this passage, you can experience tears of sorrow and yet rejoice at the same time. Habakkuk says in verse 16 that his lips are quivering. What does that mean? It means he's crying. 
as he reflects, as he thinks about the fact that invasion is imminent. And yet he's able to say in virtually the same breath here in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The enemy of joy is not sorrow. The greatest enemy of joy, friends, is false comfort. It's false comfort. That's the greatest enemy of joy. The greatest enemy of joy in our lives is the false comfort that we turn to when we're stressed or angry or depressed that redirects our gaze away from Christ and so prevents us from experiencing joy in the midst of discouragements. The 20 minutes on Instagram here, the quick check of Facebook there, the movie here, the Netflix binge there, these false comforts, these distractions are, are what often prevent us from turning our gaze on Jesus and finding joy in him, the joy that he longs to give us. You know, at a a former church where I was employed, I I was once given an office with no windows. No windows. It was like working in a broom closet. It was awful. I hated it. And, And why did I hate it? Because no real light could get in. The only light in my office, it was artificial and unsatisfying. The fluorescent artificial light in my office was a poor substitute for real sunlight. It was a poor substitute from having a, a window available that, that would pour in fresh sunlights. And, and friends, when we surround ourselves with false comfort, with Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube and the new series of the month, there, there's no way for real light to get in. We've closed ourselves off from the light of Christ, from the light of the sun in our pursuit of distraction and entertainments. We've settled for artificial light, for artificial comfort that's never going to satisfy. It might numb us for a moment, distract us for a moment, but it's just, it's never going to satisfy. Now, now listen. I'm going to give the disclaimer I always give, all right, when I'm talking about media. Because I'm not suggesting that any engagement with media is wrong or unhealthy, right? That's not what I'm saying, okay? Ingesting media is a lot like ingesting a sugar cookie, all right? I'm going to be honest for a moment. Here's a bit of a confession. On Friday, on Christmas Day... I ate well over 10 cookies. I was in double digits, okay? I, I mean, it's like I blacked out and I woke up and there was just cookie crumbs <laughs> everywhere, all kinds. I had the classic sugar cookies, you know, shaped like Santa, and then I had the amazing ginger molasses type cookie with the vanilla frosting on top. I mean, I just had myself a day. It was, it was glorious, all right? I have no regrets, no regrets. Now, now listen, is it unhealthy to, to eat a sugar cookie? Of course not, right? Is it unhealthy even on occasion to eat 10 sugar cookies? Probably not. I hope not. But, you know, if this was my regular diet, if this was standard fare for me, where each day I'm waking up and just pounding a box of cookies, that would be detrimental to my health, wouldn't it? That, that would not be helpful for me. That would be problematic. And so in the same way, of course, is it a big deal to watch a movie on Hulu or on Netflix or whatever? Of course not. Like just last night, I had to write out the slides for the sermon. And so I, you know, sat down on the couch with my wife. We watched a little bit of The Office while I, 
you know, did the slides for this, for this message, right? Like, like, there's just nothing wrong with that. But like when this becomes your standard fare, when you just surround yourself with a screen, when you just come home and it's just your default, turn on the TV, right? I mean, it's like living in an office without any real sunlight. You're banking on this artificial comfort, on this false comfort to give you hope, to give you joy, to give you peace. And it's just never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And the reason I, I just I come back to this point over and over again is I, I just think this is the discipleship issue of our day. This, this constant distraction that keeps us from the joy that, that Jesus wants us to experience, all right? I'm going to move on before I, I just completely go off on a tangent here. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Friends, the the path of life, the path of joy is the path of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, which says this. I love these verses. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That that word that we translate fixing in the English, it's a, a compound word in the Greek. It comes from two Greek words, which means to look, and another word which means away from. And so the writer of Hebrews is literally telling us to look away from all else, that we might turn our attention to Christ, that we might fix our eyes on Christ. Friends, this is the pathway to joy. You want joy in 2021? Fix your eyes on Christ. The greatest threat to your experience of joy in this life is not your circumstances. It is the false comfort, the artificial light that you hope will satisfy. Secondly, just getting to our second point now, better speed this along. Here we go. Habakkuk was able to maintain joy and suffering because he understood the defiant nature of joy. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the famous verses in verse 17 and 18. Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now what is Habakkuk saying in these verses? He's describing the worst possible catastrophe that could come upon a people. The trees are dead, there's no produce, there's no animals in the pen, no life within the country. And yet he says, I will still, even if all of this happens, I will still, Father, I'm making this commitment to you, rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now again, Habakkuk could just as easily have said, Lord, even if you bring calamity on your people, yet I will rejoice in you. He could have been much more concise, more to the point. But why this poetry? Why is he being so melodramatic? Why is he being so over the top? Well, here's why he's being so dramatic. Because even though he's been crying, even though he's shaking in fear, because he knows, again, invasion is imminent. His people are about to be conquered by the Babylonians. He's making a choice not to succumb to utter despair. He's making a choice that he's going to be defiant, defiantly joyful in the midst of his circumstances. And so he's taking a stand. Friend, this is Habakkuk's Braveheart speech right here, okay? This is the climactic scene from every great movie, from every great piece of literature, when the hero decides that they're not going to run anymore, but that they're going to stay and fight. 
Don't you see what Habakkuk is doing here? Don't you see why he's being so poetic? He's choosing to defiantly push back against his circumstances and choosing to rejoice in his God in the midst of sorrow. And I love the language that he uses here. He says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful to God my Savior. I can't control what other people are doing around me. Can't control what everyone else is going to decide to do. But I, as for me, I am going to rejoice in the Lord. It almost harkens back to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, some other famous verses, when Joshua says to his fellow Israelites, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, love that, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Habakkuk is saying, even if there's no figs and no grapes and no olives and no produce and no sheep and no cattle, as for me, I, I will rejoice in the Lord. Friends, are are you beginning to see the defiant nature of joy? It's almost as if you're picking a fight with your circumstances. This isn't about faking joy as if that would do anyone any good. This is about saying, in the midst of my sorrow, I'm choosing to look to Christ. I'm choosing to trust in Him. I'm choosing to choose gratitude, to practice gratitude, to live with hope. I'm choosing to rejoice in my Savior. This is what Paul meant again when he said in 2 Corinthians 6 that he and his fellow workers were sorrowful yet always, always rejoicing. It was a choice. Happiness is something we pursue, hoping that we're going to find it, but joy is something that we choose. It's a defiant choice. And perhaps today you might want to personalize Habakkuk's defiant speech and make it your own. Here's what I would encourage you to do, church. I would encourage you to go home today and replace Habakkuk's words with your own. You might write something like this. Though I didn't see my grandchildren this Christmas season... And a dear friend passed away this fall. Though I'm struggling with loneliness and worried about my son, and my body is wearing down, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Or you might write something like this. Though work feels overwhelming right now, and my sleep has been terrible, though I'm so tired of being single and tired of this pandemic and worried about my mom's health, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Friend, even today, even this afternoon, you can, you can head home and you can take Habakkuk's prayer and use it as a template to declare your own defiant commitment to joy. You can do that. Whatever's going on in your life right now, you can bring that to the Lord. And you can say, here's everything. And yet, despite all of this, yet I will still rejoice in you, Lord. Now, listen, uh, just as an aside, briefly, I I know that for some of us, joy just comes harder for you, okay? I I recognize that. And so the last thing I want to do here is shame anyone for not experiencing enough joy, okay? I know that for some of you, you struggle with anxiety. Perhaps you're on medication for anxiety. I know that some of you are on medication for depression. And and that 
Joy just always comes harder for you than others, okay? I, I get that to some degree. You know, I, I've shared with, with you many times, I, I have narcolepsy, which means I, I don't go into deep sleep. Even though I sleep, I, I don't get restful sleep. And so every time I, I read an article uh, about the, the importance of, of good sleep, you know, by a doctor or by a wellness expert, it, I always want to think in the back of my mind, well, that's easy for you to say. Like, my body physically just can't get deep sleep. Okay. And so I, I get what it's like when someone is saying to you, just have joy, just have joy, just be joyful, when joy just doesn't come easily for you, when you struggle with anxiety or depression. And so please do not hear me in this message shaming you for not having enough joy. That's the last thing that I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to encourage you in, what I, I hope I'm committing to, what, what I hope I'm communicating, rather, is that, friends, the, the joy is worth fighting for, okay? That even if it just comes harder for you, even if you're not someone who's wired in such a way that you're filled with, you know, warm fuzzies all of the time, joy is worth fighting for. It's worth praying for. And I believe that even in the midst of your anxiety or even in the midst of your struggles, that Jesus can still break in in your life and bring you joy more than you're experiencing now, more than you believe is possible. It's possible for you, and it's worth fighting for, okay? <sighs> Lastly, and I'll, I'll try to be brief here, Habakkuk was able to maintain joy in suffering because he understood the sovereignty of the Lord. This is what we read in verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk ends by referring to his God, not just as the Lord, but as the sovereign Lord. Now, what does it mean when we say that the Lord is sovereign? Well, it means essentially that God is in control. That nothing exists in time and space that is outside of his influence and power. There's nothing that occurs without his knowledge, without his ability to step in, should he so choose, and intervene. And because Habakkuk trusted in the sovereignty of God, he declared that his feet would be like the feet of a deer on the heights. Now, we don't really connect with that language in the 21st century, but, but in other words, what he was saying was that he believed that no matter how dangerous his surroundings, how high on the cliffs he might be taken up, that God would keep his footing secure, that God would protect his steps and watch over him. Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher, said this. He said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. The sovereignty of God, this wonderful truth that he is in complete control, this is where we find rest. It's the pillow upon which we lay our head. And because we find rest in the Lord's sovereignty, we can find joy as well. Let me close with this last thought. You know, recently in my devotional time in the morning, I've been meditating on John chapter 10. And in this wonderful chapter, John, or Jesus rather, he shares these famous words. Many of you will be familiar with them. He says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And friends, we, we need to realize, first of all, that when Jesus refers to us as sheep, he's not painting a very flattering picture of us, all right? This is not a compliment. 
when you are called, when I am called a sheep. Because sheep, you, you might know, you might be familiar, sheep are really, really dumb. I, I mean, really dumb. Do you want to know why there are wild horses and wild cats and wild dogs, but there's no wild sheep? Because sheep are too dumb to live out in the wild by themselves. This is true. This is true. You set another animal free, it's either going to become wild or eventually it's going to come back and it's going to head home. But a sheep wanders around aimlessly until it dies. A sheep doesn't know what to eat if it's not shown. A sheep will eat poisonous plants if it's not shown exactly what to eat. A sheep can't get off its back if it falls. All right? Sheep are not the brightest bulbs in the box. That's what I'm trying to communicate. And Jesus says to each of us, you are sheep. That that is, you wander around aimlessly if left to your own devices, if left to your own ingenuity. You're a sheep, all right? But here's what I find so encouraging. That's not going to be the final thought that I I, I leave you with. That That would be a bit of a downer. All right, amen, let's go. Jesus also says to us, I am your good shepherd. And because he is our good shepherd, he has agreed to take personal responsibility for our care. That's what it means to be a shepherd. You're you're saying to, to the owner of the sheep, I will take personal accountability, personal responsibility for these sheep. And I listen, I, I don't mean that in some abstract sense, as in he's promised to take personal responsibility for his people as a whole, for the church as a whole. Of course, it means that as well. But Jesus has promised to take personal responsibility for you as an individual if you're his follower. He has declared himself to be personally accountable for your welfare. That's why the Bible tells us regularly that he is constantly interceding for us. He's constantly praying for you because you are now his responsibility. And you know, church, when when this truth penetrates our hearts, when we get it and we understand that our, our Savior is sovereign, which means he is in absolute control. Nothing occurs on this earth without his consent, without his approval, and yet, and yet, that he has taken personal responsibility for us. That he has said, this sheep is mine now. This one is mine now. That one is mine now. When we understand this, we are able to retain joy even in the most dire of circumstances. When we remember, church, that we serve a sovereign king who has taken us in as his personal responsibility, we too can become people who say, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand, church? Let's worship the Lord.